0: So the Torah tells us that Abraham made a covenant with God in what's known of the covenant between the pieces because, because Abraham cut up pieces of meat as part of this covenant. And when he made this covenant with God, Abraham fell asleep. And he had a dream. And in this dream, God told him that his descendants, his children, will be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years, and then they will leave this land after they're slaves for 400 years. And indeed, indeed, later, Jacob, in this week's Parsha, Jacob's son Joseph ends up in Egypt, and then, in two weeks from now, we're going to read how Jacob and his family follow Joseph down to Egypt during the famine, and they end up staying in Egypt. There's seven Jacob and his 70 descendants go down to Egypt, but they end up staying in Egypt for a very very long time. According to our traditions, they stayed in Egypt for only 210 years. The 400 years are calculated from Abraham. But yet they're in Egypt for definitely hundreds of years. And during this time they were enslaved They faced hard labor. They have faced attempts by Pharaoh to kill them, their children. He attempted to kill all the babies at one point. And so they faced terrible persecution. And this exile was our very, very first exile. And we finally, God, listened to our prayers and sent Moses to smite Egypt with ten plagues. We know the story from Passover and take us out of Egypt Our first ge'ula, our first redemption. And so um, we then left Egypt and we became a a nation. We came to the promised land and we settled the promised land. But we had already, even before becoming a nation, we had already uh, experienced our first galut or our first exile what's called Galut Mitzrayim, the Egyptian exile. We celebrate the exodus, of course, every year um, by the... We celebrate the exodus every year at the Seder with the, celebration, with the Passover celebration. Now, Moses led the people out of Egypt. His successor led them into the Promised Land, Joshua. They lived in the Promised Land peacefully although there were various invasions over the years, but they lived mostly peacefully for about 700 years. But that was followed by many, many other exiles. In fact, in most of the time since, we have been more out of Israel than in Israel, more living under the rule of others than independent. So, for... Um, For some 500 years, or almost 500 years after they entered the Promised Land, um, after the death of King Solomon, the kingdom split into two. The kingdom in Israel split into two. It remained split between a northern kingdom, known as the kingdom of the Ten Tribes, or the kingdom of Israel, and a southern kingdom, known as the kingdom of Judea, for a little over 200 years. And then, after some seven hundred years after entrance in after entering the land of some seven hundred years after entering the land of um, of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel was captured by the Assyrians in a series of conquests, some three conquests over um, a number of decades. The northern kingdom was captured. And the people of the northern kingdom were exiled. Where did they go? What happened to them is a very good question. There are various... There there are various opinions as to what exactly happened to the northern kingdom. What exactly happened to the people over there. um, Whether they returned, whether they joined the Jewish people whether they assimilated, whether they're hiding somewhere. There are various opinions. We did a class previously about what's known the Ten Lost Tribes. But that was the very first exile. Later, however, the bulk of Israel, or the southern kingdom, and many many Jews in the northern kingdom remained in Israel for um, another almost 200 years. But then, at a later point, they faced further exile. The book of Daniel tells us how Daniel had a vision. In this vision, he saw four beasts. He saw four different animals. And we're told how these beasts that he saw each represent four nations that will subjugate our people, four nations that our people will live under, that will control our people, or four different exiles. The first, the first is the Babylonians who captured Jerusalem some 2,400 years ago. The Babylonians captured Jerusalem... They destroyed the Holy Temple and when they did so, they took almost all the people living in Judea and Israel at the time and they forced them to come to Babylon with them. And so most, of Jew- most Jews were now exiled to Babylonia, Babylonia's modern day Iraq. And most Jews now lived in modern day Iraq, lived in Babylon and no longer lived in the land of Israel. So the first exile, the first empire that we lived under that Daniel saw in his dream, Daniel himself lived in the Babylonian exile and had been born in Israel and brought to Babylon um, was this Babylonian exile. But then, while Jews then didn't stay in Babylon, we don't stay put for very long, Jews gradually spread out throughout the Babylonian empire which was an empire that spread from India to Greece down to Egypt Jews spread out not long afterwards the Babylonian empire itself was captured by another conquered by another empire the Persian Mede empire and the Persian Mede empire then Israel spread further many Jews moving to Persia Jews moving to Egypt to Anatolia modern day Turkey to Greece Jews moved all over. The Persians even allowed Jews to go back to the promised land. And many Jews moved back to Israel where they rebuilt the promised land, rebuilt Jerusalem, and rebuilt the Holy Temple. Yet they were still under Persian rule of the Persian Empire. The third empire in Daniel's vision that Daniel, Daniel had his vision during, he, he experienced the Babylonian Persian Empire. Third empire was after his death. The third empire was the Greek Empire. Alexander led the Greek armies to conquer the Persian Empire. And they um, conquered Persia and created a Greek Empire. And now all the Jews that had been living in the Persian Empire now fell under a Greek Empire. Now the, the Greek Empire of Alexander didn't last very long. It's believed to have lasted maybe a decade. Not very long. After a decade or so, he was in his 30s. Alexander died. And his empire disintegrated into a number of different Greek kingdoms. Yet, commentaries say he was still a Greek exile. There were various Greek kingdoms, but they were still under Greek rule. Jews lived in Mesopotamia under Greek rule. Jews lived in Syria under Greek rule. In Anatolia, in Egypt, the land of Israel was first controlled by the Ptolemies, which were Greek kings in Egypt. <laughs> later by the Seleucids, Greek kings in, um, in Syria, the Hanukkah story happened under the Seleucid Greeks. So for a very long time, Jews were under Greek rule. Um, the land of Israel, at, during the Hanukkah story, became independent for a period of about 80 years in total. But after about 80 years, gradually a new empire arose, the Roman Empire, and slowly swallowed up one Greek kingdom after another, and captured the Chashmunayim kingdom of Israel. And so now Israel fell under, and all Jews really fell under Roman rule. Not entirely. Um, there were the Parthians ruled Persia and Iraq at various times, but Jews fell mostly under Roman rule. And Rome then was the fourth beast that. Um, Daniel saw, he says, the fourth beast was a terrifying beast, referring to the Roman Empire. And so the Romans themselves at first allowed the Jews to live in peace, but later they destroyed the temple and exiled many Jews. Later there was a second Jewish-Roman war where they killed many more Jews and exiled many more Jews. Later Rome adapted Christianity and then Jews were really persecuted in the land of Israel until after about 300 years of Roman rule in Israel, there were very, very few Jews left in the land of Israel. The temple was destroy, had been destroyed. Jerusalem had been destroyed. Um, and even throughout the Roman Empire, Jewish communities had dwindled because of Roman persecution. Jews were now spread out, many living throughout the Roman Empire, many living under the... Persian Empire in Persia, in Iraq, in Iraq, Babylon, which was a great Jewish center. And so now, the longest exile the long is considered the Roman exile, the final, the fourth exile. There were four, the Babylonian, the Persian, the Greek, and then finally the Roman. Now, Rome doesn't exist anymore. But our sages saw all the continuing kingdoms that came after Rome, all the continuation of the Roman Empire. They saw all the Christian nations as a continuation of Rome. And Jews lived in Christian countries. And they saw Islam also as a continuation of Rome, as a continuation of Christianity. And Jews almost everywhere lived in Christian and. Muslim countries, and so they considered the Roman exile to be a lasting exile that has lasted until today. It's lasted until this day. Now, <laughs> we've moved around in the last 2,000 years almost since the destruction of our temple. Our temple was destroyed about the year 69 or so. Some debate exactly which year but um, which would have been almost 2,000 years ago. And since then, we've moved around. For many years, Jews lived around the Ro- spread out throughout the Roman Empire. Small numbers in Israel. By the 300s, there were very few Jews left in Israel. But Jews lived in Italy, in Anatolia, um, which became Byzantine, um, and in even as far away as Spain, in Egypt. They lived throughout the Roman Empire. But many Jews lived in what was the Persian Empire Um, in Persia, in Iran, um, as far as Afghanistan, India. But the largest Jewish community in the world following the destruction of the temple and the dwindling of the Jewish community in Israel was in Babylon or modern day Iraq. The majority of Jews in the world lived in Babylon and continued to live there for some 700 years. We did a class some time ago about the Jews of Babylon, but that was, for a very, very long time, the largest and most important community in the, Jewish community in the world. However, after Arab conquest of the Persian Empire, um, gradually, the, at first, the Arabs were very good to Jews. Jews even helped them in their initial conquests. But then, with time, the Arabs started persecuting Jews, and Jews started leaving Babylon. Many Jews followed the Arab, went to other Arab lands, to Egypt, to Syria, to Egypt, to North Africa, Tunisia, Morocco, and as far away as Arabic Spain. And so, gradually, the Babylonian community, which was facing persecution, gradually moved away from Babylon, and gradually moved towards um, to other lands um, by the nine hundreds, ten hundreds. They were moving out of Babylon in very large numbers. At the same time, the Roman Empire had collapsed. And Jews in Byzantine, which was Greece, Turkey today, um, were facing a lot of persecution. And at that time, northern Europe was gradually settling. France, England, Germany was slowly settling. So Jews were moving in very large numbers to those countries, to France, Germany, and England. So by the time, by the... Ten hundreds, no longer did most Jews live in Babylon, but by the ten hundreds, most Jews lived in Europe, in Spain, Spartan Jews, large Spanish community, France, Germany, um, England. That was the center where Jews were living at the time. But then Jews began to face persecution in these countries. They were thrown out of England, thrown out of France, they faced pers- persecution in germany and gradually by the 1300s 1400s jews began to move to eastern europe where they were more where, where they had more freedoms where they were more they were able to live with, live in freedom jews in spain also in the 1300s began to experience It had now become christian and began to experience persecution and also gradually started moving out and then in 1492 the jews were expelled from spain and so by the late 1400s, most Jews lived now in Eastern Europe, in what was then the Kingdom of Poland, which covered almost all of Eastern Europe, and the Ottoman Empire, mostly living in um, modern-day Greece, Anatolia, and Syria, um, the modern-day the Ottoman Empire. And those were for hundreds of years the centers of Jewish life. As the Ottoman Empire disintegrated um, so did the, some of the Jewish communities in some areas dwindle, but there were still strong Jewish communities in North Africa, Greece, and Turkey, um, all the way until the end of the 19th century. And there were also large, very large Jewish communities in Eastern Europe throughout that time. This is all part of the same exile. And it wasn't until the end of the 19th century, under great persecution, we finally had the ability to move. The Jews began to move in very, very large numbers, to Western countries that were given that had granted Jews freedom, the United States, Canada, Central and South America, even now back to England and France and Germany that had granted Jews freedom, and Jews moved in very large numbers and then in the late 1800s, um, there was a movement Zionism to bring for Jews to go back to the promised land, back to Israel, and Jews moved in very, very, very large numbers to, to Israel. Um, over time, the Eastern Euro- European Jewish community was decimated through, because of the Holocaust, because of communism, totally destroyed the Eastern European Jewish community. almost nothing left of them. The same is also for the communities in the former Ottoman Empire and in places like Iran. Um, Islam became very, very anti-Semitic in the 20th century. And um, for most Jews, when they still are, and most Jews were forced to move and left those countries. But today, most Jews live in Western countries, the United States, Canada, Western Europe, other Western countries, and of course in modern Israel. Modern Israel has um, not yet a majority, but close to it, close to half of the Jewish people live in um, Israel today. And yet, we still remain under the rule of others. We're in exile here in the United States, outside of our promised land. Um, we don't yet have the. Uh, we, we still are in what we can call the fourth exile, the exile that started at least as the Roman exile. Any questions? How many Jews actually live in Israel now? I don't know the numbers offhand. I don't know the numbers offhand. What the question? How many Jews live in Israel? Six and a half million. There you go. So why did God make Jews spend most of our history in exile? Why couldn't we just live peacefully on our land like any other nation? So there are many reasons given for the Jewish exile. Why Jews have wandered throughout the years. And we have. We've wandered. And over the years, while I mentioned the places where the bulk of Jews lived over the years, the reality is that Jews have lived in almost every place on earth over the years. Today, there are Jews in almost every place on earth. Um, in almost every country, there Just are like Jewish Chabad. communities. There's Chabad, wherever there are Jews. Uh, but there are Jews in almost every place on earth. And there have been throughout history. Jews have moved. I mean, we've been chased from place to place. But we've moved around to, all over. So why have Jews wandered? Why have we not been able to stay in a single place? Why were we not allowed to stay in our land? Why did God make that happen? So there are many answers to this question. The clearest reason given is given in the Torah. The Torah itself predicts the exile in a number of places. It says, if you do not follow my covenant, you break my covenant, you don't keep my commandments, various punishments will happen. And the Torah in a number of places lists all sorts of different things that will happen. Famine and war and, um, and death and all sorts of disease, all sorts of things that will happen. And as the most severe of the punishment is, you will lose your land. You will be chased off your land and you will be sent into exile. So the Torah mentions a number of places, if you break my covenant. And the Torah even says, you will break my covenant, God predicts it and then you will be exiled from your land and sent into exile. The Torah does reassure us that even when we are in exile, God will never break his covenant with us. And our prophets, in the books of prophets, repeat this many times over. God will never ever break his covenant with us, will never forget us. And will one day end the exile and bring us back. But the Torah says we will end up going to exile because we break, broke our covenant with God. Now, to be clear, the exile is not an individual punishment. It doesn't mean that the Jews living today um, outside of the land of Israel are being punished to live there because God, because of trans- some, they have broken the covenant with God, but is rather a national punishment. The Jewish people over our history have broken the covenant with God. And because of our national transgressions as a nation, we therefore suffer as a nation where we've gone through exile. So it's not an individual punishment, but it's a national um, punishment. We do believe that we Jews are responsible for our actions individually, but also collectively. God treats us as a collective group. We all have responsibility for everybody. And we do face exile and suffer for the transgressions and the bad actions of the group, of the entire people. So because the people as a whole had sinned, because the people had rejected God's covenant, therefore as a result, God punished our people and sent our people into exile. The Torah tells us that when we return to God, Teshuvah, And we will return to God, the Torah predicts. When we return to God, re-embrace God's covenant, God will return us back to our land and end our exile. So the key to ending our exile is then following God's commandments. We end up in exile because we are not following God's commandments. The key then is to follow God's commandments. So if we want to end the exile, and we do, the key then is to do more mitzvot, follow more of God's commandments. So now while we believe, of course, that that reason that we gave is true, in other words, we ended up in exile because of our sins, as a punishment for our sins, we also believe, Since God predicts it in the Torah, he says in the Torah, you will sin and you will end up in exile, that we were essentially set up for it. And in other words, it was part of the plan. God's initial plan was for us to end up sinning. He put us in a position where we would sooner or later end up sinning end up breaking the covenant. And we will sooner or later end up in exile. So the plan was for us to end up in exile. Why did God plan for us to end up in exile? So it's part of God's plan for our history is that we should be in exile. Why? So a number of reasons are given why this is part of the plan. The Talmud tells us Israel was sent into exile in order to bring in converts. Now we know that Jews are not supposed to proselytize. We're not supposed to convince others to join the Jewish people. If people want on their own, they're welcome to join and we'll help them along. But we don't actively encourage people to join our people. However, our very presence among the various nations over the years, many non-Jews have observed us have been drawn to Judaism, and as a result have joined our people, often at great risk. There were times when it was illegal, when there were severe punishments to become Jewish. And often at great risk, there were people who joined the Jewish people. And so we were sent to exile, says the Talmud, in order for these people, who otherwise would never meet a Jew, if we always lived in Israel, they may never meet us, in order for these people to join our people, to join the Jewish people and become part of our nation. Isaiah speaks in in more than one place about Israel being a light to the nations. And we believe that we Jews have a role, while we don't need everyone to become Jewish, we do believe in spreading Jewish values. We believe that there were seven Noahide laws which are basically seven values given to all of, for all of humanity. We've done a class in the past on the seven Noahide laws. And we Jews have a role to spread these values to all people. And by us living among the other nations, that allows us to spread the values of Judaism, not the laws of Judaism, not the covenant, but the values of Judaism to other people. And indeed, we've been fairly successful in doing that. Because today, many of our Jewish values have today become universal values. In the past, we did a course, we did a six-week course on how Jewish values, many of universal values today, are initially Jewish values. Things like um, equal justice, everyone's equal before the law, uh, freedom, free, um, everybody should be free, the um, value of life, of a human life, importance of a human life, the value of helping others in need, and many other values that Jews have given the world. And this could only have happened because we lived among the other nations and we had influence on them. So while the exile was directly a result of our transgressions and a punishment for our transgressions, however, it was really part of the plan in order for us to bring in converts and for us to influence the world around us. Yes, Lewis. So what we're learning is that there may have been a handful, maybe it was 5%, 10% who broke the covenant. We're victims of collective punishment. Yes. That doesn't seem fair. That's a very good question. You're, why would God punish our people, one person, for the transgression of others? That's a, good question. That's a very good question. Perhaps it deserves its own class. But just a short, to give you a short answer, to, to give the short answer, um, we believe in what we call in Hebrew arvut. Arvut essentially means that Every Jew, when we entered into the covenant with God at Sinai, it wasn't just that we agreed that I will follow God's commandments. Each Jew agreed, said, I made a personal covenant with God to follow his commandments. No, the covenant that we made with God was a national covenant. In other words, the entire Jewish people committed together to ensure that every Jew followed the covenant. It's not an individual covenant. It's a national covenant. So we are responsible to ensure that every other Jew follow God's covenant. It is our responsibility. So we as a nation have this responsibility. We have a responsibility for everyone. And that, by the way, is why in Jewish law, we are able to do certain mitzvahs on behalf of other people. Like you can say a blessing make kiddush for other people. How can you do it? They have to make Kiddush. How can you do it for someone else? Because since it's my responsibility to make sure that you hear Kiddush, that you make Kiddush, so therefore I can do it for you. So it's, it's, it's a collective responsibility. Therefore, if one person messes up, we are all responsible. Yes, Don. So is there a consideration that other forms of Judaism, less strict, are part of the reason or are part of... The, they are the reason that we have not fulfilled all commandments. I'm not sure what you mean by other forms of Judaism. There is only one Torah. There's only one Judaism. Right? So I don't no, know what you mean. I think, I think what you're asking is that today there are many Jews that are, n- don't observe all the commandments for various reasons. Um, and is that the reason why we're still in exile? Um, That's an excellent question. I don't have a one-minute answer to it. I have a longer answer to it. Um, Maybe next week. Um, I'm going to give you a one-word answer, no. That's not the reason. Why? um, If you want, at the end of the class, we could discuss more in depth why. Or we could have it for another class. It's not. Firstly, not the Hasidic way, the Jewish way. You don't have to be Hasidic. Hasidism is a. Hasidism is a way to connect to God, within Judaism, but you don't have to be Hasidic to follow God's commandments. God's commandments are regardless, right? The commandments are commandments. They're very clear what the instructions are. Um, the fact that many Jews don't follow Judaism is a challenge but not necessarily the reason we are still in exile um how that works we'll talk about it later (laughs) (laughs) yes Kids, but they are not following anything and they're going and having these parades, that the and we even bring our own youth. So why don't we encourage other Jews to follow more yes. of God's commandments? We absolutely should encourage Jews to follow more of God's commandments and if you know any Jew um, who perhaps could use a little encouragement to follow more of God's commandments, please do so we absolutely do. Why we don't encourage non-Jews, and we do, and um, we, at the community center, that's exactly what we're doing, trying to get people who are not yet active and perhaps following all of God's commandments and getting them more involved, um, helping them. Um, we don't encourage non-Jews to do so because we don't believe that non-Jews need to follow God's commandments. It's a covenant that we made with God. Non-Jews need to have a share God's values But they don't need to follow God's commandments. That's part of God's our covenant we made with God. Well, they don't need to because we made a covenant with God, and we don't need everybody to be part of the covenant. It was with a specific group of people. People have the option of joining, but they don't have to. So, Rabbi Zalman, I'm sorry. I just have to ask you a question. If I was wrong, because throughout. Uh, meeting with various people from different religions. Uh, I would say yes, I'm Jewish. And actually, all the other religions in the world are based on what's written in the Torah. They kind of stole parts of our Torah and changed it to accommodate their beliefs. Mm-hmm. So was I wrong saying that? That's true. Why was that wrong? I'm just asking. Oh, that's true. Let's continue. Let's get back to our topic about the Jewish exile. So Kabbalah explains another further reason why we have been spread out around the world. That our world was, when God created our world, God created our world with many, many what's called nitzotzot or sparks of spirituality, sparks of God, that are hidden and trapped throughout our world. And they're waiting to be released. How do we release these sparks? So when we perform a mitzvah in a particular place, or with particular items, we are able to release these sparks of spirituality that um, God has spread out throughout the world. And therefore we are exiled to various places. Because in each place that a Jew ends up, the reason why God sends Jews there is because there are sparks of holiness in that place that are trapped in that place. And when we use various things, whether perform a mitzvah in a particular place with particular items, we are releasing those sparks of holiness. And Kabbalah tells us that the world will only reach perfection through the process of tikkun. Tikkun means to fix by when we are berurneditzotzot when we cleanse we release each of these sparks and so for us to reach every single spark we need to be spread around the world and for this reason jews have lived in almost every place on earth and if a jew finds himself in a certain place don't think it was random the reason why you were sent there to that particular place was to make an impact there was something that you were supposed to do to release sparks in that place. And that's why we've seen over the years, sometimes places have a Jewish community for a short period of time. And then it falls apart, then it's gone. And uh, sometimes even a very large Jewish community. One example um, during in the early 19th century, Jews were fleeing Russia wherever they could go from persecution. So many Jews moved to China. Um, some Jews moved to Shanghai, which was then an international city in large numbers. Um, And they had a sizable Jewish community. And then during World War II, many yeshivas, many of the yeshivas in Poland, managed to escape, long story how they did it, and um, they they made their way through Russia to Shanghai. In the 1940s, Shanghai became a Torah center with thousands and thousands of yeshiva students Studying in many yeshivas all across Shanghai. It became a very large Jewish community. They published many books. There are many um, Torah books that were published there. And uh, it became a great Jewish center. Um, it didn't last very long because in 1949, the, Chi- the communists captured Shanghai and all the Jews fled. But they had this, for a couple of years, less than a decade, they had this large Jewish community. And that's happened in many other places. And so exile is then... Part of God's plan for Jews to impact the entire earth. Then a final reason for our exile is the Torah describes the exile in Egypt like an iron furnace. Iron, in order to make iron, you have to throw the iron... You throw the iron ore into a very, very hot furnace and that way the iron is melted from the ore... And, it, um, and that, then you're able to shape the iron into whatever shape you want to make all well, in this hot furnace. So Egypt, where Israel was enslaved, the Torah says, was like an iron furnace where we were worked on and we were cleansed and we were shaped into a nation. The prophet Haggai says, The final temple will be greater the honor of the final temple will be greater than the first one. The final temple that we will build in the future times will be the greatest of the temples. And it is explained, that Midrash tells us that God destroyed the earlier temples in order to build back bigger and better. And so the destruction of, or the exile of our people was in order to cleanse our people and in order to build back something that was better than before. And so in a sense, not only were we Jews sent to exile to be spread around the world to impact the entire world, bring converts to influence the world to release God, these sparks around the world, but it also cleans ourselves. It improves ourselves. It makes us better people. We have developed many customs many traditions over the years in various places. We've learned many things, and we've become better Jews as a result of our exile over the many years of exile. And so when we do go back, when this exile ends, we will come back to a much better state than we were before. And so much so, when we reach the end of this very, very, very long exile that's lasted almost 2,000 years, when we reach the end of this exile, we will have such a strong Return, redemption, ge'ulah, that there will never again be an exile. It will be the final exile and there will never be another one. Yes, Anita? Where will the final temple be built? Where? In Jerusalem. Jerusalem? On the Temple Mount. Where it was? Where it was. Where it was. So today, we're almost 2,000 years after the destruction of the temple. We still consider ourselves in exile. Now the truth is that Jews have built a Jewish state in Israel where a very significant number of Jews live fairly successfully, happily. Unfortunately, there's not entirely peacefully. Um, A Jew was killed this morning, unfortunately, in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is still rebuilt. It's big. There's skyscrapers in Jerusalem. It's become a big rebuilt city. We no longer thankfully suffer, even those that don't live in Israel. We all have the option of visiting. If we want, we can move to Israel at any time. We have that freedom today that we didn't have throughout most of our history. And even here in the United States, we live happily. Yes, we face some anti-Semitism and a recent rise in anti-Semitism, but we feel pretty safe here in the United States. We live happily. We live well. We have freedoms. We can participate in civic life here In this country, we can go into any business we want, into any profession we want. And yet, throughout our prayers, as we have throughout for the last 2,000 years, we call on God time and again to end our exile, to bring us back to Jerusalem. At the most important moments in the Jewish year, at the end of our Seder, at the end of our Yom Kippur service, we call out, Be Alive next year in Jerusalem. We call for the end of the exile, even though right now we're actually living quite well. We have it quite good. And even people living in the land of Israel call for an end to the exile. And every day in our prayers, ask God for redemption. Ask God to end our exile. Say, Return to the city of Jerusalem and rebuild it. And, At the end of their seders in Israel, and even in the city of Jerusalem when you have a seder, or when you spend Yom Kippur in the city of Jerusalem, how do we end it? L'shana Haba B'Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem. And that's because even if you're living in Jerusalem today, and definitely if you're living in the United States, you're still in exile, in Galut. Why? Because for Jews, the lack of having the Holy Temple rebuilt in Jerusalem itself is an exile. Jerusalem is not real Jerusalem until our Holy Temple is rebuilt on the Temple Mount. And until that happens, we continue to mourn every year on Tish Aḇav, on the 9th of Av, and we have three weeks of mourning every year for the destruction of the Temple because our Temple has not yet been rebuilt. We remain in exile until our Temple is rebuilt. But it's more than just the building of the temple. It's not just about the building isn't built, which is a big deal. Because two thirds of the laws of Judaism don't apply until we have a temple, involve the holy temple. So we're missing most of Judaism until we get the temple. So it's a big deal that there's no temple. It's not just about the building. But it's not only that, it's more than that. Our sages say that it's not Israel that went to exile. It is God who is found in exile. Or what we call the Shekhinah, God's presence. When the temple stood in Jerusalem, the Shekhinah, the presence of God, was felt there in the spot of the temple. A person would go to the holy temple. They would feel God's presence. You could feel that you stood in the presence of God. Now God's presence is not felt on earth in the same way. Yes, a remnant of the presence remains. And you can feel it when you go to the Western Wall. It says, lo koma. The presence never moved from the Western Wall. But it's still, the, it's, it's, it's just a remnant. The real presence is not felt the way it was. God's presence, begalut. God's presence is in exile. And so it's not just that we are in exile. We're actually doing okay nowadays. It's God who is in exile. His presence is not felt here on earth. And God is pained. His home is gone. And His presence is no longer felt among us. And so we still pray for an end to our exile. And a return to Jerusalem. Asking God to return. The, rebuild the temple. And return His presence. That His presence should once again, once again be felt here on earth. So Judaism has always focused on anticipating towards the end of our exile, the end of our galut, waiting for the ge'ula, waiting for the redemption. In fact, one of our 13 principles of faith listed by Maimonides is that every single day we need to anticipate and wait for the redemption, for the coming of Moshiach, who will be an individual, who will come and restore the temple and gather Israel from the four corners of the earth back to the promised land, back to the land of Israel, with the temple rebuilt, with God's presence felt there in the holy temple. That will come with the coming of Moshiach. And so we have been anticipating this throughout our history. When we were suffering, of course, we wanted an end to our suffering. But even now when we're not suffering, we recognize that we still are missing the Holy Temple and missing the Divine Presence here in Israel, here, in, uh, here on Earth. And so we wait and anticipate His coming and that is why throughout our prayers we continuously pray to bring us back, to return, to redeem us, to redeem us, to bring Moshiach and to rebuild our Temple, that the Divine presence shall once again be felt. So yes, we're in a better state now, but we are still in Galut. We're still wandering Jews because we haven't yet rebuilt our temple and brought back the divine presence. But we pray and anticipate and wait for its return. And we do believe that it will happen and will happen hopefully very soon. And we believe Maimonides says that We don't know how many more mitzvot, how many more commandments we have to follow. You know, we said the way we're going to bring it back and end our exile earlier, we mentioned, is by following God's commandments, going back to the covenant, by releasing all the sparks. We don't know how much more we need to do. So Maimonides says you should look at our world as a scale, where you have a weight on one side and you're adding whatever it is to the other side, And you keep adding, adding, adding. It's only going to be one drop that tips the scale. You don't know when it's going to be. But one drop's going to You don't know what the next commandment is? The next good thing that you do, the next mitzvah that you do, that might be the one that's going to tip it and end our exile and usher in the future redemption. May it happen today, very, very soon.